let, let's, let's say the word so we can pronounce it. Shavuot. Say it with me. Shavuot. I'll do it again. Shavuot. Shavuot. Um, Shavuot is the Hebrew word, or actually it's a Greek word, but it's the, it's the, it's the Greek word derived from the Hebrew that would have, that would have pertained to the word Pentecost. Um, there, there, are, there are multiple f- feasts in, in the Bible, Jewish feasts. Um, most of those feasts began earlier. They, they had origins uh, deep into um, the Hebrew culture. The main three would, would end up in the fall. And that would be the last day of the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets would end up in a, in a, in a remembrance. All of them are remembrance. If you boiled the Old Testament down to one word, the one word would be remember. If you took all the books of the Old Testament, you put them in, it would just be remember. That's what God wants us to think, remember. So, but the three main feasts are Shavuot, Pesach, and, and Sukkot. You you know Shavuot is uh, uh, Pesach is Passover. The Americans know it as Easter. Um, uh, Shavuot is Pentecost. It was it was at the very end of a festival called the first fruit. So the first harvest was brought, and at the end was called Pentecost. And then in the fall. Uh, you had this tabernacle of a booth, B-O-O-T-H, a booth. And so basically they were remembering, God wanted them to remember how they traveled through the wilderness and had mobile-type tents. And they had, um, they had no permanent dwelling. Now for all of you who want a little more deeper into this, I won't go too far. Purim was added later. Purim, P-U-R-I-M, Purim. Purim was the observance of what Esther did when she approached King Ahasuerus uninvited. And if you approached the king uninvited, your life was on the line. If he held out his scepter, he accepted you. If he withheld it, you were were put to death. So she had three days of prayer and fasting and purified herself. And so years after Passover and and, and Pentecost and Sukkot, the Jews then adopted Purim as another remem- day of remembrance. It's a very common thing. Now, now the, the Jews came to say that they kept the Sabbath. But in reality, the Sabbath kept them. And, and there are distinct traditions and customs in in cultures, not just Jewish cultures, that actually maintain the integrity of the people. When you dismiss all traditions and all customs and all ceremonies, what you do is you unravel the fabric that holds people together. So, uh, I'm not a huge proponent of, 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 of all the merchandising of Christmas, but I do think that there is a wonderful observance there and and I'm not against Santa Claus, and uh, uh, I'm not. I'm not really. Fi- I don't care. Really care about the Easter Bunny. I don't care. I mean, we'll we'll eat. We'll eat him if he's made out of chocolate. I do. I have no regard for for that. Um, but there, but there is some value of Thanksgiving. Why? Why? Why would we gather for for a remembrance to be thankful? Um, there is value in an anniversary of of a of a marriage. Uh, there is value of, of recognition uh, of a day when some great or tragic thing took place. Um, the people of Oklahoma City will, will pause every year to remember the, the hundreds of lives that were, that were stolen from them in a, in a bomb blast. When I, just, when I went to Oklahoma earlier this year and went to the city, they all knew all of it. it, was, it was, they said that the, the museum there in remembrance of that, that day... Uh, is 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 an amazing thing. When you go to Pearl Harbor, 
the, the ship that sunk, that still, that it's in, it's in the bay there. The fumes are still alive. You go through a little portal, there's, you can still smell the fumes because, uh, because the fuel is still buried and it leaks out a little bit. It's, it, it, it casts off a fume. There's, there's days of remembrance. The Jews had an, had a, had an issue with obeying God and it threw them into chaos many times. In fact, they were overrun by, by, by armies, Amalekites, Ammonites, um, uh, the Philistines did many of these things. There's the Midianites. It, it, so many of, of the neighboring countries just, they burned Jerusalem. They burned their areas. They ran them off. They imprisoned them. Um, and yet they still kept the law of Moses. How did they do that? They did it through the oral law or the speaking of it to their children. And, and the scribes would, 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 would write it very carefully. They were very honorable in writing. So I'm getting to this lesson. I just need you to understand where we are. We're, we're in the book of Acts. This is the book where the whole Old Testament is, is leading. It's, it's the book where all other subsequent writing, all the epistles are pointing backwards. It, it is the origination of the church of Jesus Christ. And it is at the beginning primarily just for the Jews. This is, in fact, they even said salvation is of the Jews. And they believed that. They didn't think that salvation could come to any of the people because all the other people were heathens. They were corrupt. They, they had many idols. They had grotesque idols. Even dating back uh, as far as uh, 1,500 years prior where, where they, would, they would worship the god Molech. M-O-L-E-C-H. I'm spelling everything for you because I just want you to know how to spell. It's just, spelling is good. This is also an English class. A little spelling bee will be, be offered. Molech, who was the god um, that, that was, a, that was a, a, a large brass god with a hole in his belly and a fire pit right in the middle of the hole where they would pass the babies through and they would kill their infants as a sacrifice to their god, Molech. Um, so the Jews had no regard for these kind of heathenistic people, even even us, as I described that. Many of you grimace in that. Ooh, don't don't tell us that. But of course, we have the same thing happening every day today when 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 we disregard the, the Holy Scripture, in which God said, I knew you in your mother's womb. I knew all your parts. I, I, I knew your form. I formed you. Your substance was not hid from me. So when we get to the Jews here, we have a very small group of people. Uh, thousands, yes, but, but in, in relation to the world population of the time, a small group of people. And so, Jesus has, has, has forecasted this. He has told them this. And, and he said, I, I'm going to send the promise of my Father upon you. Tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Um, so just in your handout, I, I just kind of want to point this out in Shavuot, uh, Pentecost. It's the pivot point of both of the Testaments, both new and old. The day of Pentecost was the beginning of the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Remember, as I've taught you, the gates of hell are not offensive. They're not defensive. The gates are government. When you go to Jerusalem, and, I, and we're going, if you want to go, you can come uh, next year, March. We'll go to a little area where, there's, where there is a city. It used to stand, but the gates are still there. They're large gates. You go through the gates. It's not like a picket fence gate. And you go through this area and there is a cove as you're going through the gate. Another hollowed out cove in stone on both sides. This is where the leaders of the city would gather. When Boaz wanted the hand of, of, uh, of, of Ruth, he, the Bible says he went to the gates of the city to meet with the elders. That's where the decisions were made. At the gates of the city was the government of the city. When Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What he said was, 
I'm going to build my church and the highest authority in hell, the government of hell, will not be, be able to prevail against it. And so he's going to build the church. When did he build the church? He gave Peter the keys to the kingdom and then Peter is going to deliver those keys. So just in your handout, I'm just pointing out in this expository that that there's actions taken by the apostles. This is not the thoughts of 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 the apostles. This is not the intentions of the of the apostles. This is not this is not the the thinking or 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 the study of the apostles. This book is the actions or the acts of the apostles. And in that in that just one line theme can draw a distinction between the early church and the modern church. This is an indictment against us. When I read that opening line, it indicts me. It indicts the church, especially the church in America. Because we are, we, we, we are strong on belief, but we're a little short on actions. And so the actions taken, they had to depend on the Holy Spirit. Now, why do they have to depend on the Holy Spirit? This is very difficult. It's, it's you getting pushed out of your nest. It's, I don't know what age you were, 16, 18, 25, hopefully not 50. Hopefully you went on your own. You weren't living with your mom and dad. But if you were, I mean, forgive me. I don't mean to offend you, but sometime I hope you got pushed out of the nest and you're there. You're, you're out. You're done. Go find a job, uh, uh, get a car, uh, you know, do something. Um, and I'm sure there are circumstances where that does not happen. But but for the most part, um, and I can just say it for us, I would prefer my children not live with me the rest of their life. I just, it, I, I have this feeling. Now, not right now. I want them to stay where they are, but at some juncture. But when I left, I I remember one day I looked in in uh, in the in the cupboard and looked for uh, an item that my mom had in hers, and, and there wasn't one in uh, in my cupboard. And the reason why is because I hadn't bought one yet. Um, and so, uh, I had to go to the, to Walmart and buy some things. You know, I had to have, I needed a spatula. I, there was things I had to have. When you, you felt a little bit, uh, out of sorts, like a fish out of water. So if you got to walk with Jesus for three and a half years and suddenly he's gone, now you're on your own. Boom, go do your thing. Now, we don't understand that very well because we didn't walk with him. We didn't see him. We didn't touch him. We didn't eat bread with him. But now the apostles, the disciples, the early church, they had to function without the physical presence of the incarnate God. And this is a challenge. I, I just want to put a few things into context for us here so that we, we, we can kind of grab uh, a little bit of an overview of, of the chapters of the book of Acts, because that's what this class is about. We're talking about the book of Acts. So I'm just going to address some highlights. I, if I would do every verse, verse by verse, it would take us all year, and we would have to be here all year, you and I, and I would run out of uh, nice cologne, and, I, and I'd have to buy more so I could smell good. I, I do smell wonderful. Some of you who keep sitting in the very back row, you, you'll just have to take that by faith. The the first chapter is Peter, and here's the big takeaway. He addresses the issue of unity. Peter is going to address the issue of unity. The second chapter is, of course, known to us, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. Now, when I say the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of the Lord, Spirit of God, the Bible says there's only one Spirit. These are just synonymous terms for the same spirit. So don't get thrown off if I say the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. There's only, the Bible says there's only one spirit. Um, but these are different terms used, and they all came from the, from the same derivative of pneuma. Okay, chapter 3 is the affirmation uh, that was given through miracle signs and wonders. Now, there's more than that that happens in chapter 3. But I just want you to recognize that unity produces the outflowing of the Holy Spirit. 
The outflowing of the Holy Spirit, the preaching of the gospel, is then confirmed by miracle signs and wonders. Everybody wants the miracle signs and wonders, but they don't want to get into unity. Everybody wants the supernatural, but they also want to keep their own opinions. Amen. I'm feeling really good right now. Praise the Lord. Number four, we have, after the miracle, the council brings Peter and John and they say, by what power or by what name have ye done this? And they say, by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, doth this man stand before you whole. Now they're very upset. This is external pressure. This is, this is outside issues. This is the accusation from without. There will always be an issue from without. You will never ever do anything for the king and for the kingdom without an outside accusation or an outside pressure. Never. And I'm not talking about demonic pressure. I'm talking about worldly pushback. You cannot live a life separate from the world without some kind of rebuttal. There will always be a rebuttal. And the reason why is because you are not, you just by virtue of living a holy moral life, you stand, and this is what your Bible says, you stand in condemnation of the world's wickedness. Mm. Well, I don't tell anybody that they're doing wrong. Just by virtue of your holy life, you are a witness of the holy things of God. Number five, well, number five, and I've described this before, but I, I, do, I do enjoy this part. We, we, we have this amazing thing. I'll, I'll get to it, but, but there's a fundraiser going on in the, in the end of Acts 4, and, and people are making their personal commitments, and they're all making their commitments. And there's a couple, they, they have a little piece of property, and they, they say to the, to the apostles, we're going to sell the property. We're going to give everything that we get from this property to, to the efforts. Of, of whatever we're doing here. And so they sold the property, but they get together and they, and they say, like many people say, why are we given all of this? Now, I've heard these conversations before, and I'm not exactly sure that Ananias and Sapphira said this, but this, this is probably pretty close because they, they withheld some of that money they got from the property. You know, people will say, well, this is just too much. They don't need all of that. Why would I give all of that? You know, I know we said we would, but but what do they need all that for? So instead of making true uh, or, or, or making good on their promise, they withhold some of the money. And Peter is preaching. Now, they're somewhere in a building here. I don't know where they're at, but they're in a building because the Bible indicates that within this group, Peter's preaching. And Ananias walks in and, and his wife is not with him. Now, had she been with him and came to church with him, she would have known what not to say. Because he said the wrong thing. But when Ananias came to church by himself, the preacher got up and said, hey, is this the exact amount that you promised? And he lied. He lied and said, yes, we're giving it all. Now, I don't know where, I don't know why Ananias came to church by himself. I don't know why his wife was not with him. Maybe she was changing her clothes. Maybe she was not ready for church. Maybe she didn't like the way she looked in that, in that outfit and she had to get a new outfit. But had she come with her husband, she could have lived. But she didn't live, she died. Mm-hmm. This is the Bible. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm spicing it up, you know, with the little hot sauce here. But, but Ananias <clears throat> fell dead. Peter said, you didn't lie to me, but you lied to the Holy Ghost. Uh-oh, now it's an issue with God. Now we have an issue with the Holy Ghost. He dies. The men of the church come. This is Acts 5. This is not the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Lord got angry with some people. He burned up 250 of them. Smoldering. He opened up the earth. Swallowed swallowed people up that were against him. I mean, in the Old Testament, there was chaos and devastation against heathen and against those who withstood the holy law of God. Moses comes down from the mountain of Sinai, draws a line in the sand and says, who's with me? The Levites, they were with you, and then they slaughter 3,000 of their own brethren who worship a, a, a golden calf, Asics. That's not the Old Testament. We all think the New Testament is just grace. Everybody loves each other. Well, okay. Yes, but 
If you lied to the Holy Ghost in the New Testament, you die in church. How would you like to go to the church like that? Come to church, we have revival. But what happened last Sunday? Well, some man stood up and lied. He fell over dead. It was an awesome service. His wife walks in late for church. We don't know why. She walks in late. Peter says, Sapphira, is this what you gave? Not knowing that her husband already lied and died. She repeats the lie and the same thing happens to her. They, they, they carried out two dead bodies in Acts 5. Because you have flesh that walks into church. And the establishment is flesh will lie to the Holy Ghost. Now we may not be as overt. We may, we may not, we may not be so vocal to do it. But people do this all the time. They do it with their actions, with their bodies, with their language, with their commitments. And so this is the New Testament. We have some issues within, not just without, but within. And we're not even talking about demonic spirits. We're not talking about demons. We're not talking about the supernatural oppression. We're talking about flesh from without and flesh from within. And that makes me know through the book of Acts that in fact... Our biggest issue and problem is flesh. It's humanity. It's me. And then I'm just going to cover a few here. And then we'll get back to it and dissect a little bit more. When they handle the issue finally in Acts chapter 6, I think it's verse 2. It says, when the number of disciples multiplied. When the number of disciples multiplied. This is Acts 6. And Acts 6, when the number of disciples multiplied, they had an issue. And the issue was there were some widow ladies who were not receiving their allotment of food. You have to remember where we are. This is a Hellenistic environment. Alexander the Great has left his three sons in charge. One has already died. Herod the Tetrarch now is leading. There is... He's barely hanging on. Rome has an iron grip on all of Israel. There's, there, there is a, there is assimilation of cultures from Rome. Rome built aqueducts and road systems throughout all the known world. They would conquer a place, let them keep their gods and their systems, just pay uh, observance and, 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 uh, and taxation back to, to the homeland. And so really this is a, 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 a this is an imprisoned nation living freely in their own culture, but still they cannot do what they want to do. They don't have access to their own forces because Rome, the centurions, guard everything. They, 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 they are in charge. And so, so there is poverty also among them. And so that the widows of the church or the widows of the early church, they were not getting their allotment of food and they were angry about it. And when the number of disciples multiplied, multiplied, that's when the apostles said, listen, we cannot leave our purpose and serve tables. We've got to stay in the word and in prayer. And we need seven men of honest report that will do the function and the administration of this. Now this is, this is a, a biblical and it is a, it is a clear biblical godly design of how the church always should work. And it is exactly opposite of how the American church operates. The American church expects something very different than the early church did. We want our leaders, I just told you about all those pastors that are coming. We want our leaders, and I talk to them all the time, not just those men, but many other men. We want those men to execute administration, feed the poor, visit everyone, have conversations, counsel everybody, which is not in the Bible either. That's an American-made thing. Fix everyone's problems. Tell us how, not only how to live, but how to raise our children. I don't even know how to raise my own. Is that evident already? Uh, all of that, and still be spiritual and be in the word. Now that, that's impossible even for a person who has 12 people in their congregation. Jesus had 12. 
He had 12. Of the 12, he had three intimate men, Peter, James, and John. When they went into the house of, of Jairus to raise the daughter up, Jesus only took Peter, James, and John. When Peter, when Jesus went to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, he had all of his disciples there. He left some of them over here, and he said to Peter, James, and John, come away with me for a little bit. He, he, little bit. he left them there, and he went a stone's throw away from them. This is a, this is a complete biblical concept. And so what happens is it's incumbent upon the church to be the body, to care for one another. But the expectation of the American church upon all ministry has risen to a level where now we want the leader of the church to look like George Clooney, to have the personality of Zig Ziglar or whoever. We, we, we want him to be, to be apt and suave, not too proud, but certainly we don't want to look, we don't want you to look bad. We want you to look good, but not that good. Humor, but not too humor. Don't embarrass anybody. Just the striking balance. And this is what people are looking for. And when they find it, they usually get someone who's been filtered and someone else writes their sermons. And I can point out a few televangelists that have achieved that. But they're not spiritual. They're not godly. They're not prophetic. They don't execute and they don't preach the whole counsel of God. <laughs> oh boy. Now I'm on topic because at six, there has to be a shift. And the shift is we, we need people that will be in charge and execute the administration and the duties of the body. Now, if you think that because you're in administration that you are exempt from preaching the word, then you never made it to Acts chapter 7. Because Stephen is one of the seven men of honest report. Stephen is a church administrator. I remember telling me, someone telling me years ago that they didn't want to be a pencil pusher. Because they thought it was less than a ministry. What are you talking about? Stephen was an administrator and preached the longest sermon in the Bible. Of course, they killed him after... They stoned him, but it was an excellent sermon. And of course, the sermon that ultimately ended his life affected all of Asia Minor. How did that happen? The sermon, the man that he affected, think of this. The balance for David was Jonathan, but Jonathan never wrote one psalm. He just studied the hand that did. And the day that they picked up those stones and said, ah, I can't even swing my arms. This jacket's bothering me. They took their jackets and they laid them at the feet of a man named Saul of Tarsus, who would later become Paul, the great apostle, who wrote 13 books in your Bible and converted all of known Asia Minor. Paul. And Paul, when Paul one day wrote... He said, I got a thorn in my flesh. And I prayed three times and the Lord would not remove it. And, sa- and the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in, in your weakness. What was he talking about? What was that? Now, some scholars say it was because of his poor eyesight. He had been beaten so many times. He had been whipped. His bones hadn't grown back. Some, some say of loneliness. But there is a, a, a strong school of thought that it was a haunting memory I wanted to forget the day that I held the coats of those who stoned Stephen. But the death of Stephen, the administrator, when he was being stoned. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that his face shone like an angel. There's only one time in the scripture you'll ever find Jesus standing in heaven. Only once. (laughs) And that's the day that Stephen was being stoned. And the Bible says he looked up steadfastly and he saw Jesus standing in heaven. So if you tell me that you, all you do around here is mow the grass or vacuum or you're an usher. Man, you're ready to preach a sermon and affect the whole world. You have no idea. Everybody. See, in the book of Acts, all of the church believed that it was their responsibility to preach the word and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. So Acts chapter, how are we doing? Are we, are we good? I'm feeling really, I'm feeling the Holy Ghost up here. I don't know. All right. Acts 2 through 7 
is going to center around the believers in Jerusalem. Um, I, I, I may show this, I, I don't know, but uh, Brother Woodward taught a great lesson. and We may get to it at the end of our Bible study here. We might watch it, I don't know. But in Acts chapter 8 verse 1, Saul um, was consenting or he, he consented unto the death of, of, of Stephen. He's not yet converted. And there's great persecution against the church in Acts 8 and 1. And in, in, in this particular uh, uh, chapter, they are scattered abroad. Now, now it's, it's kind of like a man walking along and seeing a big anthill. And he's taking his foot, his boots, and he just smashes down on that anthill. And all the ants scurry. Now, I'm, I'm going to make a statement to you. And, and some of you are not going to believe it. And others, I invariably are going to brush this off and you're going to forget about it. But I, I hope by qualifying it. It'll make you latch on to it more. Persecution is the environment for revival. When there is no trouble, there is no yearning. When there is no struggle, there is no revival. But you let persecution, trouble, and struggle strike any nation, city, state, church, and there will be a revival. But as long as we're comfortable, there is no one crying at the altar. I've known men who weep at the altar when they lost their job. But when they got a new job, they never came back to visit. I know people that when they were in, in turmoil, they came for prayer. But when they're not in turmoil, they have no need of prayer and there's nobody laying hands on them. They're stone cold and indifferent. And God did not call you to be that way. You are not the frozen chosen. You, you, you were called to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am not the only one qualified to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ or to tell someone about the Lord. I'm not. This is not a profession. This is a calling for the whole church. When we professionalize what I'm doing here, what we do is we keep it right here. But tomorrow, there are people you got to share the gospel with every day. There's tomorrow. There's the next day. Every day and every night. This, this was the culture of the early church. But in Acts 8 and 1, do you read it? They were scattered abroad throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria. Oh, except the apostles. The apostles didn't want to leave Jerusalem, but the people were scattered. Okay. Uh, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, we're going to cover Oh, Lord. One, two, three. Okay. We're covering three main points of this, of this lesson. And so hopefully we can, we can work through this. I, I don't have a lot of time, but, but let's work through this because we, we need to get these, these major points. Maybe four. Maybe four points here. I, I want to talk really just because if I could just address these first few chapters, one through seven, um, I, I need to discuss the human element. Here's the scripture. It's Genesis 11 and 1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Now the context of that is that they, that they, were, they were going to build a, a tower. Uh, God wanted them to be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth. He wanted them all over the earth, but they didn't want to do that. They wanted to congregate. Um, and so they were in disobedience to God at this time. And the Bible says the, the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. So just listen for a moment as you can kind of draft from this. In consideration of, of just the timeline and, and the last three centuries just here in the United States, if I would just take in that consideration and also of Europe, um, you have to look at the wars and then the world wars and then the early 19s, the teens of the early 1900s. It's apparent that most of the world's population before this time stayed within the within their nation's boundaries except for war. Uh, the, the war would shift the movement, but most of those wars prior to 19, the 1900s were were traversed by boat or a foot, a, a camel, horse. They, they were, they were slow-moving uh, armies. But 
but with the more modern age, the war shifted. And young men brought home stories of, of places far away. They, they spoke of food and clothing and landscape and customs that, that no one was familiar with. And then as air travel expanded, so did the need for other, other um, conveniences. And then also interpreters, because as we have discovered, language is the great divide. Language. Not, not necessarily food, uh, not necessarily clothing. Language. Uh, words don't carry the same meaning in other places. And, and then there's a fluctuation in tone, silent letters. Um, uh, really, the original M- Mandarin Chinese is a tonal, it's tonal language. It, the same word, different tone, changes the meaning of it. There's gender references in both, in both Spanish and in French that, that if you, if you don't get the gender right, it changes the, 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 the sentence. And, and then, uh, from language to language, there's customs and traditions. All of it distinguishes the cultures, but the language is the great divide. And God saw the ability of mankind to accomplish just anything that they wanted to accomplish. Anything. And God said in, in Genesis eleven six, behold, the people is one. They all have one language, and nothing will restrain them, which they imagine to do. Their, their ability to do what they want to do centers around one language, but not just one language. Here's the hidden nugget in this. It wasn't just one language. Go back to Genesis 11.1. 1. Read it on your paper. What's the hidden nugget there? What, what's the hidden statement there? It says they were also of one speech. So this is not a redundancy of Scripture. It's not an additional emphasis or further declaration of the prior statement. They were of one language and of one speech. Scholars note that not only did they have the same language, but they had the same purpose. So when it says of one speech, they're implying the same purpose. Herein lies the power of a guided or misguided people. So speech and purpose are the elements of progress or regression. Speech and purpose. This is on your handout. If they're exercised correctly, anything is possible. The, the, the opposing positions here. There, there's some opposing positions. And they are confusion or an individualism. Uh, there's, there's, they are confusion uh, and an individualism. So, it, it, it's, it, it is either progress, it's, it's, uh, it's purpose, it's movement, or it's confusion, and it's individualism. So, in that particular moment, everybody was speaking the same thing, and everyone had the same reason or same purpose. This only happened one more time in the scripture. That happened on the day of Shavuot, Shavuot, the day of Pentecost, when they were come with one accord in one place. And the Bible says they were there at Pentecost when it was fully come. Let's do the math. Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. Pentecost it, it denotes also the giving of the law. When they, when they, cro- oh, oh my, Let, I won't do that yet. 50 days after, after, after Passover. Let's, let's just leave it there. Jesus is with them for 40 days. He, he rose from the grave after three days. That's 43 days. They're sent to, uh, from Acts one they they're sent over to Jerusalem. They're in the upper room about seven days. Everybody is together about seven days. Now, I have been to a place they believe was the upper room. It's a, it's a pretty good sized room, but it, it's not, it's not this big. It's not even half. It's, it's really, it's really just maybe, maybe not even this one section. Maybe, maybe smaller this one section. And can you imagine 120, about 120? There, there, there is some, there is some, uh, uh, a school of thought that, that often muses about how many people actually went and how many people stayed. Because at the, at the seventh day, day of Pentecost, there was about 120. Can you imagine? What if there was like 300 people that went over, but, you know, 180 just said, hey, you know, this is uncomfortable here. 
Listen, put anybody in a room for seven days praying and see if you can stay in one accord in one place. See, one accord is good. One place, well, one accord, but in one room for all those days. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna go get something to eat. We're gonna have a falafel. We'll come right back. <laughs> and they come right back, and they're praying. Okay, they're praying, but to achieve that, it's not just speaking the same language. You have to have the same purpose. <laughs> and this is the power of 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 the unity of the brethren. The Bible says, it's like the oil that flowed over Aaron's beard. How sweet and pleasant it is for men to dwell together. And how, how difficult it is for men to dwell together. How, how, what a task it is for people to dwell together. Bring all the people. There's so many people from different backgrounds here and different cultures here and different ethnicities that come into this house. How can we, how can we come together? We have to have the same speech and we have to have the same cause and same purpose. And if you lose the purpose, you have division in the church. That's why Paul would write, there ought be no schisms in the church. No one dividing anything. <laughs> when there's trouble and there's tribulation and there's conflict among all the people, everyone has a, has a cause to rally around. But when life is pretty good, then everyone has a cause to complain. I would just say, here's my dream, that we have a, a unified body of believers. Because if we are unified, and don't think that that's, that's easy task, nothing will be impossible for us. Now, I'm not poor mouthing anything. I'm not, I'm not. But I have yet to been in any place that has been unified. Levels of unity, 70, 80%, 90%. But I've, I've, I've never been in, in one service where the whole church was unified. There was a lady in our church that walked out of a wheelchair. Her lower spine had deteriorated. She had no lower spine. And um, she walked out of the wheelchair. The people, everybody just, we were falling on the floor. People were speaking in tongues. There was a couple people that were in disbelief. Just a couple. And uh, they made note of it later. I don't know. How they, here, and, and so I would just say, what would happen if we all... You know what that would take? That would mean that we'd have an absence of opinion. Uh, let, let me get to some things here. Oh, my, oh my Lord. <clears throat> let me just give you logistical things here. The time and, and the place. This, this, this is important. Now, now it, 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 the power of the church, it, it's not found in personal gifts or the ability for self-expression. The individual holding of, a, of an opinion, it's the destruction to the movement. Nothing stops us like opposing words and individualists. Nothing destroys the church like unconstrained tongues, people pursuing their own ambition. The power of the church is found in clarity and understanding and selflessness. Even a home, the home, Jesus said, a home that's divided against itself cannot stand. No house can divide, it won't stand. Why? Because it is, it, it's divided within. Our, our, our issues are not in the world. It's not demonic. It's the church. Y years ago, and I delivered this maybe maybe seven or eight years ago, but in, in one of our services. But but in the 1960s, uh, uh, Brother S. W. Chambers was the leader of of the Pentecostal movement, and and that was during the Civil Rights Movement. It was it was a very difficult time. And, and Dr. King had been assassinated and, and, and John, President Kennedy had been assassinated and, and, and there was great division and the organization, which is, which was the United Pentecostal Church organization, he was the leader of it and there was only maybe two or three hundred men there. I've, I've interviewed all the elders that were there. Every elder that I could find, I've interviewed them. They've all said the same thing. It was the most important sermon of our entire organization. Why? Because they thought they might fracture and just dissolve. It, it, they, they were struggling. And he preached this sermon. Here's the title of his sermon. Can the church withstand the onslaught of history? And I preach, not can the church survive the world. Not can the church survive the devil. But can the church survive the church? Can we survive each other? 
And that's the question. It's always been the question. It's not, the question is not about what the enemy's doing. It's not the government. It's about what we're doing. Because if we are into, well, go, just go back and look at that. Let, 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 me, let me tell you what God said. God said to Joshua, here's this big city. It's a well-fortified city. It's Jericho. I've given you the land, Joshua 6 and 2. Here it is. You'll come past the city. Walk around the city. All you men of war, go around the city once. Do that six days in a row. But on the seventh day, walk around seven times. At the end, let the, let the, let the priest blow the ram's horn and, and then shout. And let the people shout. Joshua got the news and he went back to the people. And you know what he said? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk around the city one time. Six days in a row. And on the seventh day, we're going to walk around seven times. And on the seventh day, we're going to blow the ram's horn. But here's Joshua 6 and 10. He added something to the word of God. God said, walk around six days. On the seventh day, walk around seven times. Blow the ram's horn and shout. But this is what Joshua said that God didn't say. (laughs) Joshua said in Joshua 6 and 10, you shall not make any noise with your voice. Until I tell you. And I read this today. And I wrote this down. People talk too much. They talk about the wrong thing. And they rarely talk about the right thing. We have too many words about subjects that mean nothing. Now God did not tell them. He did not tell Joshua. Tell all the people be quiet. Joshua said that. You know why? Because he had already been down that road before. Because when he was young, Moses sent 12 of them out to spy out the land. Him and Caleb came back with a good report. And 10 of them had a negative thing to say. And it kept them out of the promised land for 40 years. And I believe that Joshua was not about to let a bunch of numbskulls ruin the moment. God gave us this, this land. Do not open up your mouth until I tell you. Because we're striving for unity. And the best way to destroy unity is to be of different languages and not of the same purpose. Uh-oh, how are we doing now? That's right. I'm going to tell you something. you got to get the word of the Lord in your mouth. you got to get encouragement in your mouth. you got to stop bemoaning everything. Don't murmur. God is good. He's still good. Even when you go through trouble, God's still good. When you're having, when you're having a hard day, you are still saved. This is what Paul said. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you died in the spirit and if you died saved, thank God you go to heaven. If you live, it's got to be for Christ. I don't want, I don't, I don't want you to die. I don't want you to get sick, but someday, if the Lord tarries, then I want, I want to stand up and say, praise God for our brother. Because the Bible says, precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. Mm. <laughs> but the problem is, we didn't learn that. We didn't learn that. We learned, well, we're Americans. You remember, you remember telling me, me telling you rather about Scotty, my brother, and how he told my dad when we were young, he didn't think our house was very democratic. Because he'd want to go somewhere and my dad would overrule him and he wanted a vote. And my dad said, okay, Scott, I'm going to give you a vote. I'll give Jeff and Dana a vote and your mom. He said, that's great. My dad said, each of you kids have one vote. Your mom has four and I have eight. We were too, too ignorant to know what those numbers meant, but we were, kept on getting overruled. Didn't matter what we all said. If he said yes or no, that's what was going to happen. Our problem is we think that we're part of a society that's, that's a democratic process, and you're not. You're under a different law. You're under a different law. You're under the law of grace. You're under the law of the word. We live in America, but we have a different land. We used to sing about it. We used to say this world's not my home. I'm just passing through. But now we're not really sure about that. No, what you're involved in is a theocracy. There's a God. And we are the children of the most high God. And his word is the constitution of our life. Amen. 
Your home is somewhere else, not here. This is where you're living. You're, we used to say this. Can I just, I, I don't know, I, I might be a throwback. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. We're living here, but we're really not a part of it. We got to get back to producing some Gershoms in our life. Gershom. You got no Gershom, but you got to get a Gershom. What's Gershom mean? Gershom means, this is what Moses, he is in the wrong place and he knows this is not where I belong. So he names his son Gershom. And Gershom means I'm a stranger in a strange land. You need to produce some Gershoms and say, I don't belong here. I don't know what this is going on, but I know I'm going somewhere else. I'm not going to stay here. I want to produce something in my life that says I'm a stranger in this place. The Bible comes behind us and says, don't put treasures in a place where the rust and the moth can corrupt it, but lay your treasures up where they cannot be corrupted. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Think of this scripture. Think of this powerful book that has introduced the birth of this church and what this early church would go through just for our sake. The time that Peter preached on the day It was the day of Pentecost. It was 9 o'clock in the morning. And there were people that were looking around and saying, are these people drunk? They're all speaking in tongues. They were speaking in a language they didn't know. They said, Peter, look, there's Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers of Mesopotamia and Pontus and Phrygia and Asia and Cyrene. We hear them speak in our own language. The wonderful works of God are... Are all these drunk? And Peter said, these are not drunk as he supposed, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. The third hour is nine o'clock in the morning. No, 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 they just got up. The Holy Ghost fell. No, here's the key phrase. Peter says, this is that. Oof. This is correlation. Now, the exact time was 50 days after Passover at 9 o'clock in the morning when the day of Pentecost was fully come. That's the end of this festival. They've been praying for a number of days. It looks like at least seven days, around seven days in an upper room somewhere, a rented room. The Holy Ghost fell, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. They all spilled out into the streetways, speaking other tongues where all the other people had come. They all heard their own languages, the wonderful works of God, the Holy Ghost support out. And Peter said, this that you're hearing today is what Joel prophesied. It's on your handout. Joel said he would pour out of his spirit upon all flesh. Turn your paper over. Three things happen in correlation. Oh, I'm, I'm running behind time. Oh, Lord. Three things happen in correlation. Validation of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So the correlation between Acts chapter 2 and Joel chapter 2 is that there is a, a validity of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not the only place because we're, we're talking about Jews who know the Old Testament scripture. If you want to write on the side of your paper, it's Isaiah 28, verses 11 and 12. Isaiah 28, 11 and 12. And God said, with stammering lips and another tongue, I will speak to my people. And this is the rest, whereby you'll cause the weary to rest. So this is not foreign to them. But Peter expresses a correlation. Joel prophesied of this. The second element of that correlation is the lordship of Jesus Christ. Because in that sermon, Peter declares the death and the crucifixion and the resurrection. This same Jesus whom he crucified is now both Lord and Savior. So there's a correlation and now the lordship of Jesus Christ is established. Correlation. What's happened here? And finally, And finally, in in, in the last part, the Jews are now more apt to receive the message. And that's why, as he's preaching and says, this is what we've all been waiting for. Don't you remember the, the prophet Joel? He prophesied of this. And in verse 37, the Bible says, the word is pricked, cut, stabbed to the heart. It's It's a beautiful word called conviction. It's a rarity today. Conviction. Have you ever been in a church service and the preacher's preaching and, oh, 
He got me. Oh, that word, it struck my heart. Oh, oh man, how did, how did they know? Oh, was he, was he on my Facebook page last night? You can just know I wasn't. I ain't on that dumb thing, just so you know. So if you hear a word that you put on Facebook and there's a rebuttal from the pulpit, you know that was the Lord. <laughs> I don't have time for that stuff. What conviction? They were pricked in their heart and they said unto Peter and the rest of the disciples, men and brethren, how are we going to be saved? How, what are we going to do? How can we recover? What shall we do? And Peter preached the keys to the kingdom in Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. Everyone say four. Say to obtain the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, verse 39, to your children and to all that are afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. It means that this will never end until the rapture. Until the catching away the body of Christ, the Holy Ghost will be poured out. And today, all over the world, the Holy Ghost is being poured out over and over and over and over again. All over the world. The power of correlation is, 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 is incredible. And, 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 and they understood it through, and we understand it. They understood it through the Old Testament. I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying along. I, I, I'll just give you a, just two types and shadows. These are things called types and shadows. Because the Old Testament is over here, and the New Testament is over here, and you kind of want to switch them around, really, because it's like the sun is shining on the Old Testament, and it's casting a shadow on, on the New Testament, casting a shadow on the Old Testament. So the Old Testament has shadows of things to come. You know, you would think, well, the sun should be shining here, and no. The sun is over here, Shining a light on the New Testament. The New Testament has a shadow in the Old Testament. Here's the shadow of the Old Testament. It's Noah. Noah builds an ark. Everyone knows Noah built an ark. Noah built the ark. And, and he put seven, uh, he put, he set seven pairs of clean animals and, and, and two by two of unclean animals in the ark. And, and, uh, and, and there was a worldwide flood and, and God started over with Noah and his, and his family, his three sons, his wife and their, and, 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 and his, and his daughter-in-laws. And here's the Bible. People were disobedient. The long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while he was preparing this ark. It was a long, long build. But few, eight souls were saved how? By water. Now, I always thought they were saved by the ark. These are types and shadows. They were saved by water. And look at the next scripture. Even so, baptism saves us. Just as he was saved in water, the waters of baptism save us. Well, what's the ark? What does that represent? That represents the church. This represents the church. So these are types, and this was in the culture and the teaching of the Jewish people. L- l- they all knew about Moses, 1 Corinthians 10. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. Mm-hmm. A lot of single ladies can say that. If I would not have you, ignorant brethren. There's another scripture like that. We'll, we'll go on. If you're bothered, just quote the scripture. It's, it works every time. How that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Think of the imagery. The cloud, the spirit, the sea, the water. And we're all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and the sea. The cloud is the spirit baptism. The water, the, the Red Sea is the water baptism. Amen. So these correlations strengthen the gospel and the doctrine of the apostles. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I, I've run out of time. I've run out of time. I, in fact, I can't, even, I can't even get to the last part. I'll just, we'll bring it back next week. Because the, ne- the next part's going to cause, it's, it's going to cause me to spend another 15, 20 minutes. And so we're just going to pause here. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with this, this thought. Because in the book of Acts, we have, we're, we're encompassing a, a myriad of, of, uh, of, of, of times even. There's a decade between Acts, 10, Acts 2 and Acts 10. There's a 10 years go by. So we're, we're a little foggy as to what year we're in. It's somewhere between uh, 
the first and the tenth year between Acts two and and even seven. And there's a there's there's a lot of chaos, but but the gospel is starting to get out of Jerusalem. It's starting to spread out from Jerusalem, even though the apostles didn't leave. They didn't want to leave. They liked hovering. It was the same thought as the Tower of Babel, but they needed to go. God is going to spread them through persecution. He's going to spread them. And, and when you start to get into the book of Acts, and I'm challenging you to read the book of Acts. In fact, between now and next week, I think, I think you should just read as far as you can. Start again in Acts 1 and start reading through. I'm trying to pull out these, these nuggets for us so that we would know the highlight and critical points that are often left out of our conversation. And if, if you can look at the Bible in its totality, you're going to see so many things that brought to light the lordship of Jesus Christ and the birth of the church. Let me read a little bit for you. They did not want to accept that Jesus was the incarnate God, but it was in their scripture. And so this is what Peter and Paul would write about, John would reference. So I'm going to give it to you. The Messiah, according to Micah chapter 5, that's the Old Testament, He was going to be born in Bethlehem. And in Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. The Messiah, according to Isaiah 7, 14, was going to be born of a virgin. And in Matthew 1 and in Luke 1, Jesus was born of a virgin. The Messiah, the incarnate God, was to be a prophet like Moses. That's Deuteronomy chapter 18 and chapter 19. And in John chapter 7, that's what he was, Jesus. Messiah was to enter Jerusalem triumphantly in Zechariah 9. That was, a, that was a prophecy. They knew that. And he did that in the last part of Matthew and John. The Messiah, according to Jews in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 118, would be rejected by his own people. We know that happened, and I have the subsequent scriptures. Messiah was to be betrayed by one of his followers, Psalm 41. He was to be tried and condemned in Isaiah 53. He was to be silent before his accusers in Isaiah 53, 7. He was to be struck and spat upon by his enemies. That's Isaiah 50 and 6. Messiah was to be mocked and insulted. That's Psalm 22, 7 and 8. All of these things happen. The Messiah was to die by crucifixion in Psalm 22, Psalm 16, Psalm 17. The Messiah was to suffer with criminals and pray for his enemies. That's Isaiah 53 and 12. The Messiah was to be given vinegar and gall. That's Psalm 69, 21. That happened. Others were to cast lots for Messiah's garments. That's Psalm 22 and 18. That happened in Matthew 27 and John 19. His bones were not to be broken in Exodus 12 and 20, 46. His bones were not broken according to John chapter 19. The Messiah was to die for a sacrifice for sin. That's all through the book of the Old Testament. But Isaiah 53, verses 6, 8, 10, 11, and 12, and that, that happened. The Messiah was to be raised from the dead according to Psalm 16, verse 10, and he was raised from the dead. And the Messiah finally is now in power, in authority, in Psalm 110, and Mark 16 and 19, and Luke chapter 24, verses 50 and 51 declare it so. The correlation for the Jews is all is written all through their scriptures, which they recited and quoted and danced over for hundreds and hundreds of years. And when Jesus came, it was hard to see them. He see him. And Jesus said to them, search the scriptures for in them ye think ye have life and they are they which testify of me. And finally, when he rose from the dead and his spirit, the comforter, the Bible says came, the Holy Ghost came. It, it, it enveloped them and they began to speak with tongues because the Holy Ghost was inside of them and tongues was just an outward sign of the inward manifestation. And from that moment, the birth of the church came. And now what are they doing? They are correlating, relating back to the Old Testament about the deity and the lordship of Jesus Christ and that what they have experienced is true. What I teach here, what we believe here, what all the preachers preach here, this is not a denomination. This is not, this is not a ceremonial concept. This is scripture. It's in the Bible. This is the scripture. What can we do to be saved? You have to repent and be, even that whole thing of Acts 2.38 was woven into their concept because they all understood at the entrance of the tabernacle was the, was the altar where there was death. Right after that was the molten sea where the priests would wash their hands. And inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant where the Spirit of God would come down and consume the blood. 
It was in their mind. It was imprinted in their mind. It was imprinted. So all Peter had to do was relay back. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And all of a sudden the light bulbs are coming on. It's coming on. And now the Holy Ghost, the power of the Holy Ghost went throughout all of Jerusalem. And how do we know that? Because when there was a miracle in Acts 3, the council brought Peter and John in Acts 4 and said, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. I got, a, I got a challenge for you. Let's get in unity right here and let's fill Terre Haute with the doctrine of Jesus Christ. I got a challenge for our Bible study group. Leave here and be a preacher of the gospel. You don't need a pulpit or a microphone or a platform to preach the gospel. You just need to get your Bible out and say, there is one Lord, there is one faith, there is one baptism. This is the way. Amen. Amen. Everybody said in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray tonight, help us, Lord Jesus. Help us to recover the attributes and the burden, the passion, fervency of the first church, Lord. I pray for new life fellowship. Let this be a place where the Holy Ghost is free to operate, where people can find you, Lord. Let all the elements that we have spoken of, Lord, be found in this place. And let miracles, signs, and wonders follow us, Lord, I pray, in Jesus' holy name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen.